1: 96 FM.
0: I'm joined now in studio by Antishuk Michal Martin. Good morning, Tishuk. Good morning. Uh, you're here this morning, I think, could to um, talk largely about Covid and Cork and what's happening. We had reports this morning that Cork may be facing level 3 restrictions. Can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, I think the situation is we're coming from a low base in Cork City, but the Chief Medical Officer is very, very concerned uh, with Cork City. I think we've had 170 cases in the last two weeks. That's anywhere between 20 and 30 a day uh, on different days. uh, of cases in the age cohort of 15 to 34. There have been some outbreaks in different settings, uh, both in hospitality uh, and in health settings. Uh, And so basically, what I'm saying to the people of Cork and the city is we must do everything we possibly can now to prevent any further rises in cases, stabilise the numbers, and that means reduce our social contacts, um, maintain uh, you know your, your your social and physical distancing, wash your hands very frequently, um, watch your etiquette in terms of sneezing, uh, and above all, just reduce the level of congregation more generally, and we can avoid going into level three. And we do want to protect as many people as possible in our hospitality tourism sector and the best way to do that is to avoid going to level three and if we all individually and collectively behave accordingly I think we can avoid that luckily we're not luckily but we're we're coming from a low base therefore we can avoid this Uh, but the numbers are going up very very quickly that is what concerns the chief medical officer and I spoke to him on the situation uh, the other week the return of the universities and the institutes albeit at a different level with a lot of online um, provision is a concern uh, as numbers come into the Cities, So house parties are a no-no and people must not engage in that. Uh, And I think uh, students more generally have to be very conscious of of the wider situation. Many, many are, of course, and many adhere to the guidelines. Uh, But that applies to Cork, Limerick, Galway, Waterford and the the CMO is particularly concerned about urban centres and cities where the density of population is naturally higher and therefore the disease can spread more rapidly.
0: So if if it is a situation that we have to go to level three in Cork City, is that also going to apply in the county?
1: Not necessarily, uh, and um, that's something that will will be looked at at the time. If it if we get to that stage, uh, the, we're a large county, obviously well spread out um, but that's a call that NEFIT will make the public health advice uh, will make that call based on the figures at the time uh, but we still have time uh, to prevent this from happening uh, and the best way to do that is, is to follow the public health advice uh, in, both individually and collectively and uh, I think we have we've, we are receiving warnings from public health doctors and from the chief medical officer no, in relation to this. Me. Uh, and I think we can we can nip this we can uh, prevent this from happening uh, by adhering uh, to the very basic guidelines that ultimately determine the spread of the virus or not
0: Since the schools have come back, Taoiseach, there have been, I suppose, a lot of people catching up on things maybe that didn't take place earlier in the year. You're looking at a lot, particularly of communions and confirmations. We had photographs of, you know, a group of mums outside a church, not socially distancing, um, you know, published on local Facebook pages. We had a lot of those kind of things over the last couple of months. Do you think things like communions and confirmations have been contributing to, to this rise in figures?
1: Well, anywhere people gather, um contributes to the rise in figures uh, wherever numbers uh, are gathered together uh, you know there was without question that's what that's the atmosphere that's the situation within which the virus thrives and that is why when you get to level three for example you see the CMO and and, and saying look you must uh, maintain one visit here uh, to your house uh, that's it with the maximum of six people uh, and I think the uh, I think they do they do contribute there's no point in saying they don't they do uh, and any Widespread uh, congregation does that, and the rise of the virus has been within the community uh, and within whatever large gatherings happen. Um, the situation in relation to children, um, so far in terms of the testing that has been done, uh, the positivity rate is is low zero point five uh, uh, percent. So uh, there's there's reassuring. Uh, evidence generally across the school system that children are not transmitting to children within schools. Uh, they may bring it in from outside into schools uh, but generally the CMO is, is, is satisfied with the situa- situation in primary schools and in second level schools. Uh, obviously at the, the, the higher education end we know the. to be fair to CIT and to UCC and to the universities more generally they, they do have very strong protocols strong guidance for students uh, and there is a particular focus on that now and will be And the US side, the Union Students of Ireland are cooperating very strongly with the minister of higher education simon harris in that regard and we will be doing a joint communications approach with the students in terms of communicating the message to third level students
0: Okay, in terms then going back to schools and you know that level of of child to child transmission being quite low I mean I think that is reassuring for people to hear but one thing that isn't reassuring for people is the delays in the contact tracing for school settings particularly we've had a couple of people contact us over the last couple of weeks who have um, you know they've known personally say they've got a text from another parent saying you know we've, we've a confirmed case you should be hearing from contact tracing but they're not hearing for two three days by which time you know their child has still maybe been in school because that's the advice they're still going to work because that's the advice and the whole thing you know that that's giving a lot of space for something to spread that doesn't have to be there what kind of pressure is the contact tracing system under
1: well the the there there are specific guidelines in relation to how, how the public health will advise schools and um each case is different and public health advice locally can differ in terms of who should be contacted and who shouldn't be contacted and what particular action a particular school should take. And um, uh, so, more generally... Are the yeah the system has come under pressure, but we're meeting demand uh, nationally. We're not under the same pressure, for example, as the testing and contact tracing system is in the UK, mm-hmm. who came looking for some help from us last week, um, in, in, particularly in Scotland. But but in the Republic, we are meeting demand, uh, and the average turnaround time is point is, is two 2.2 days, end to end. But the, you know that that's quite good. No, we do hear from cases as you outlined where. It's, you, you will hear outlying cases where this didn't transpire and we do need to hear of those cases and they need to be followed up. The plan that we announced over a week and a half ago will ramp up the contact tracing even more. They're at the moment recruiting up to 500 people to do the contact tracing, 700 swabbers as well. So overall there will be a staff of 3,000 people involved in, from the labs out to the community in the testing and the contact tracing.
0: Is there going uh, to be any increase in lab capacity? Because I know that that's been an issue.
1: Yes, uh, the HSC are looking at that continually. You may have seen a report last week where um, they they secured additional uh, lab capacity uh, from a German company. Uh, Some of their activities are based here and some in Germany. Uh, But overall, um, you you know, we we have capacity now to do 100,000. And we did close to 90,000 last week. Uh, And um, that's a very high number. That involves both community testing, the community, it Mm -hmm. involves a serial testing program in nursing homes, in direct provision and in um, meat factories. Uh, and what you'll find with the serial testing program, these is where we just do the entire system, the positivity rates tend to be very low. Mm. So that suggests too that in those settings it's when the virus comes in from outside into a meat factory that it spreads like Wildfire in the meat factory because of conditions within the meat factory or within direct provision because of congregation uh, or indeed a nursing home. So we're keeping a very strong eye on nursing homes and continuing to do the serial testing. And then you have testing in hospitals um, as well. So it's quite an extensive testing program, a huge expenditure being spent on it. uh, But it is very, very important in terms of helping to suppress the spread of the virus.
0: Okay. One issue that has come to us as well, Tishuk, <coughs> is a lady emailed us yesterday, a listener um, who is working 40 hours a week, her husband is wor- or her partner is working 40 hours a week as well. Their child had to be tested last week and because of that, they both missed three days work. They're not entitled <coughs> to sick pay for that period while they're self-isolating, awaiting awaiting a test. Um, and she said, you know, we want to be responsible. We, you know, we were responsible. But at the end of the week, €100 Euro came into that house. Nobody can live on that. What are you going to do for those people?
1: I think that's that's a case situation we are looking at, uh, and I think in the forthcoming budget we'll see if we can do something there to ring fence some supports. There, we did at the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, bring in the illness benefit, uh, pandemic illness benefit approach, whereby if people were self isolating, uh, that they wouldn't be out of pocket in terms of, of of workplace, and that's been important in some work situations where. People may have thought, particularly in these factories, that they may not have had uh, any income if they volunteered, that they were, had symptoms. Mm. So that's why that was brought in to make sure that they could volunteer and not lose income. Uh, since the return to schools, that is a situation that can happen. Uh, and we, we will see, obviously subject to resources and so on, to see what we can do to help people in that situation. Because we do want people volunteering. We do want people to behave responsibly. And we do want people to do, 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 the, do the right thing by their children and by the community.
0: Okay, uh, one of the things that has come up during the week about the COVID messaging and about the advertising around it is the idea of paying influencers to promote the public health message. Is that something you are going to run with?
1: Well, we're certainly looking at different ways of communicating to different age cohorts, um, and uh, some um, influencers may do it, uh, uh, you know, on. on, on Without income necessity, you know, they may do it, just volunteer and do it. Mm. Um, There's also uh, other people who may be in a better position, also in terms of. We might want to give a message to the community in terms of their own conditions and how you're protecting me. If 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 if, you, if, if we all behave uh, appropriately, but I do th- think the idea of influencers is important. We we have to, in terms of younger age cohorts, for example, uh, different uh, media platforms uh, are optimal in terms of communicating the message, and also different pe- types of people can get the message more quickly across than maybe politicians or others can. To be honest about it,
0: yeah. The, actually, when you speak of different media platforms, of course, since the start of lockdown in March, local radio stations such as ourselves have played an important role in educating the public about COVID but of course there has been a massive decline in advertising revenues the previous government put in place a one-off funding scheme as well as quite a large advertising spend around COVID which has since declined and most stations have actually availed of the wage subsidy scheme for employees but the longer the crisis continues many stations are facing real problems with the sector's representative body the IBI warning of possible job cuts and cuts to the quality of service um, which obviously has been invaluable to the public that we serve Um, the IBI is calling on the government for immediate action to help. What can you do?
1: Well, I I think I'll be meeting with the representative of the IBI shortly after this particular interview, um, and we do understand the situation that they are in. Um, we would have thought that advertising revenue made some recovery during the summer uh, as quite a number of sectors of the economy came back after the lockdown. Uh, that's quite interesting. I mean, two or the three um, sectors are doing quite okay mm. um, and many, many uh, SMEs are back to 60-70% of, of normality, maybe even more. Some sectors still uh, have a bit to go yet mm. and that's why we need to avoid going to to level three at all possible. But so far, we're looking at an intervention of up to 24 billion, maybe more. It could be anywhere between 24 billion and 30 billion of an intervention by the state in helping everybody to try and get through this this COVID-19 pandemic. But we will, of course, because we do understand and accept the importance and the centrality of local radio, to the public health message. I mean, you've carried it from the very beginning, mm. uh, undertaken an excellent job and also in terms of public morale, we know you cover all the sports engagements and that's more critical because people can't attend matches or couldn't attend in the numbers that one normally would yet your station and other stations uh, do a fantastic job in giving that local sports coverage mm. to people and that lifts spirits and keeps the country going and keeps people going and that's important. Uh, so, I will. we will again engage with, with the industry uh, and We hope next week to set up a media commission, for example, to have a more fundamental review of media, more generally, uh, and the interaction then in terms of how we support uh, a plurality of views, Mm. uh, diversity of opinion, at arms' length from the state, of course, which is what a true democracy should have Mm. uh, and should facilitate and encourage and nurture.
0: Okay, I'm getting a lot of questions coming in about different local issues, so we'll come back to those in just a moment. To take a quick break, Uh, Mihal Martin and Tishuk with me after this. This is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 On Court's 96 FM. A lot of questions on a lot of different subjects coming in from Taoiseach Micheál Martin. I'll do my best to get to all of them for you, but bear with me. Um, A number of people asking Taoiseach about uh, the maternity hospitals. This is something we've been covering since the very beginning. Um, CUMH seems to be a bit of an outlier in terms of how strict the visiting rules are for partners and for birthing partners and for fathers. And um, a lot of women very concerned that they're going to have to give birth alone and possibly look after a baby alone for the first few days of life when they are themselves in, in a difficult situation. Have you had any um, communication from CUMH on that? Because I do understand that hospitals up the country have relaxed restrictions, even in Dublin.
1: Yeah, I think this this is an issue that has been raised in the dial uh, by a number of deputies o- over the last number of weeks. Uh, I think we all know that um, you know the birth of, of a baby is one of the most magical uh, moments in, in, in your life. Uh, it can also be a difficult and traumatic moment for some um, as well. We know that, and therefore the presence of a partner um, is is essential in, in, in normal times, and it's something that we 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 take for granted. I think it's a reminder. Um, of how our lives, the norm in our lives has been upended by this COVID-19. Uh, I think we should accept in the first instance the bona fides of those who bring in protocols and regulations. They're seeking to protect the mother, they're seeking to protect the baby uh, and frontline health workers. I think that is the motivation. That said, uh, there hasn't been a national sort of guidance framework that would appear uh, and local um, risk managers and will take different decisions in different hospitals now peter mckenna who who's the clinical director of the national maternity and infants health program is now preparing a national document uh, to be sent out to all maternity uh, centres with a view to having a more uniform national framework governing practice here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a lot of concern about this. Uh, and uh, obviously, different hospitals have different um, situation. The maternity hospital here in Cork is probably one of the more modern uh, facilities relative thing. to others. I've involved more, myself in getting yeah. a sanction when I, when I was Minister for Health and getting the thing over the line with the neonatal there. Um, so uh, I would like to think that so obviously, with the objective of protecting the health of everyone concerned, that mm. we could facilitate, particularly for scans, for example, and so on, uh, the presence of a partner uh, in, in, in these situations.
0: Yeah. Just this morning, somebody had asked us about visiting ours at CUH. So you can go and visit a patient in CUH for 15 minutes, but you can't see your baby except for their, their actual birth. You know, it, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to people. But hopefully, we'll, we'll await that document and hope that it will bring some good news for um, some very anxious um, families out there expecting babies. Um, we have also had a number of calls on the Carry Tool School Project. Um, Deputy James O'Connor was on with us last week discussing this. And there just seems to have been delay after delay after delay. The school still isn't gone out to tender. And it was announced yesterday that St Al's, um, also in Carry is getting an extension. Um, that, I mean, obviously the more school places in East Cork, the better. That's, that's clearly yeah. a, a bonus for everybody involved. But I think the frustration of the parents at this point in Carry Tool, they, They really nobody at this point can understand what the delay is here.
1: Well, first of all, it has gone on for a long, long time for a number of years, and there's been a strong campaign there. Um, I know Deputy James O'Connor has been uh, persistent with me and with the Minister for Education, Norma Foley. Uh, I think the plans are going to put out to tender um, in Q1, quarter one of 2021, uh, and uh, in my view, you know, that will happen, and, and we're keeping the pressure on to make sure we can get it out to tender um, as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, and I know James is, you know, he has. He has beaten the door already to Norma Foley's office. We will continue to do that. There is a huge issue there uh, in terms of the growth of numbers and so on and the necessity for this.
0: Okay, um, we also had um, a story in the last couple of weeks, Taoiseach, about <coughs> housing. Obviously the election campaign, which feels like about a decade ago now, um, largely focused on housing and on the problems in the housing market. That challenge, I suppose, has not gone away. I know there have been um, there has been the eviction ban, there have been mortgage freezes. Those are just kind of lifting a lot of them at the moment, just at the same time that the pop is dropping. Um, only last week we covered on the show the case of Patrick and Adrian Wall, who are living in a derelict bus outside Blarney. Adrian has a serious brain injury and is just not able to tick the boxes that the system requires he tick. Um, they're the thin end of the wedge, but I suppose they're a particularly, um, a particularly sad case and a particularly difficult case. Are there any extra resources being put in place to deal with the wave of housing needs that is going to come out of this situation?
1: Yes, there are. As a result of the July stimulus, for example, we provided uh, up to £40 million to all local authorities, including Cork City and Cork County, for for example, these are houses that have been empty through people leaving and needing repairs and so on like that. And that will bring quite a number of houses back into operation in Cork City, um, over the next number of months. Uh, and, um, in addition to that, Cork City, uh, you know, they deliver about 600, um, uh, social housing units in t- this year uh, that could get up to eight hundred unit- units currently under construction. Um, with about thirty-one families in emergency uh, accommodation in Cork City and two hundred ninety-nine individuals, uh, and so there will be we will doubly done our efforts to try and help those who are on the homeless side uh, and to get more get them into emergency accommodation. But more critically, uh, to get more social social housing built. There will also be initiatives around affordable housing uh, to make sure that people. Um, want to buy a house who you know are working and out there um, but because of 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 market conditions are not in the position to do so we want to give assistance to those who want to buy their houses uh, and there will be additional measures in that regard Uh, but in terms of the homelessness and in terms of social housing there will be a ramping up and extra resources will be allocated uh, to build more council houses uh, over the next uh, 12 months and certainly beyond that as well.
0: Okay. Um, is there anything going to be put in place in terms of the, the um, labour activation in that sector? Labour activation might be the wrong term, but at the moment, uh, anybody who's trying to get work done their house, there's no builders. Um, yeah, who's going to build
1: them? Well, there's a very good scheme we announced again in July in terms of giving incentives to employers to... Um, to take on apprentices. And there's been a very good take up of that. Um, They'll get a grant if they take on a first year apprentice. uh, And that's, that's working. Mm -hmm. uh, And that will increase numbers. Uh, We also, we've provided about 200 million for additional uh, skills training to skill nets, springboard, Um, higher education because that's going to be the big challenge I think as a result of COVID-19 we do need to provide very significant resources to help people reorientate Uh, take take retrofitting for example Mm. that's going to become a very significant program in years to come. We just announced a scheme for the Midlands with, of 20 million with, with five to six local authorities involved. Uh, Cork has experience in that regard in terms of Holly Hill and, and uh, there's some uh, good, good examples of retrofitting there um, and we want to continue that. Uh, and so we, but we will need to train people um, in that particular um, area. And construction uh, has come back after the lockdown. We will lose some productivity this year because of the lockdown itself and COVID. Nonetheless, there's additional capacity now in construction. Uh, and, you know, we have um, glad to announce the, the, the two ophthalmolo- the ophthalmology labs in the South Fermi Victoria Hospital. That's a significant project which will help throughput in ca- uh, cataracts and so on at like that and really modernise our, our service there in terms of, of ophthalmology. Uh, but that, all that needs work. Workers And uh, so we're very conscious as we want to increase construction capacity, we will need workers to enable us to do that. So we do need to allocate quite substantial funding to skills. The e- e- ETB here in Cork has been very effective in that regard, the Educational mm. Training Board, working with uh, CIT uh, and also UCC uh, in terms of that whole skills uh, for education piece uh, to enable us to meet the new demands of, of a changing economy and uh, a post-COVID economy.
0: Okay, you mentioned um, the South Infirmary and investment there and I suppose that brings me to the HSE winter plan which has been just been announced at 600 million. Um, I gathered that announcement of 1,500 extra beds. Some of them are already in place. Um, Alan Kelly in the doll yesterday said it was just 528 when you took out the ones that are already in existence. Um, I know that there were extra beds introduced. For example, there was a field hospital in Limerick which um, was never used during COVID. I don't know if those beds are being counted in, in no. that winter plan. They're not, okay. No. Um In terms of that winter plan, the timing of it and the capacity that is there for it. We had CUH this morning in our news headlines warning people not to come to hospital unless strictly necessary. Um, You know, and it's only September and we haven't hit flu season yet.
1: Yeah, and and I think, first of all, last year the winter initiative would have been 30 odd million, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe less. Now it's 600 million because we realise with COVID-19 we have probably the biggest challenge we've ever faced. Uh, coming into the winter. But it's not just about hospitals. In fact, there's a strong emphasis in this plan on community and on home. So looking at f- 4.7 million uh, additional home support hours uh, by the end of April. 2021, between now and next April. Uh, we're looking at rehab beds, additional rehab beds nationally, uh, acute beds. Um, and when you say, Alan Kelly just said just five to eight, that's a lot of beds because mm. it's not just about beds, it's about staff and it's about people yeah. uh, behind those. Then you've and how is the recruitment of those staff going? Be- that w- I mean, that's ongoing and that will be challenging. There's mm. no point in saying otherwise. Um, but in terms of the overall uh, figures, the, the funding is now there to enable the HSE to do that Uh, and you know we want self-isolation beds provided of course so there will be reconfiguration um, within hospitals there's a strong view that uh, lessons learned during the early phase of COVID around for example um, community uh, diagnostics around GP led clinics particularly respiratory clinics Mm. do we need to be sending Senior citizens into very overcrowded emergency departments with respiratory illness, can we deal with those situations outside of the acute setting? We believe we can, mm. and that the right setting uh, well resourced can enable us to prevent and, and, and avoid people having to go into very overcrowded situations in emergency departments waiting there perhaps for twenty four hours and longer and two days where an earlier intervention uh, could be just as effective. Mm-hmm out in the community, it has to be properly resourced. And I think that is the way of the future uh, and that's what this plan will comprehensively resource more than it did ever before uh, within the health service because it really is the home care packages, uh, the community-based interventions that will take pressure off the acute hospitals and allow the serious trauma um, be dealt with uh, in our emergency department at CUH.
0: So are we looking at maybe a beginning of an end of the bottleneck of A&E? I,
1: I, I look, as a former Minister of for Health, I'm loath to say anything of that I'm <laughs> kind in health. I much prefer, we've provided resources, I took a, an interest in this myself uh, mm. with Stephen Donnelly to say, look, we've got to really, given the severity of COVID-19 and its impact on hospitals because it's not just about emergency and, and a lot of people when the influenza season gets into full um, uh, rain basically uh, lots of people will be referring uh, with symptoms that yeah. people might think are COVID turn out not to be COVID mm. uh, so there's going to be a lot of pressure at all levels on the health system uh, and so therefore we're very conscious of that and also within hospitals when COVID is coming back up they've got to be extra careful which means it reduces their capacity to deal with non-COVID illnesses. That's a worry and a concern. So all of that is going to add is going to add pressure. We know from COVID during the lockdown and people didn't go to hospital, didn't refer themselves. There's been a backup in terms of cardiac, in terms of oncology, uh, in terms of people, you know, diagnosis. Uh, so we're anxious really to, to move on that front uh, because that in itself then creates emergency situations down the line mm. uh, which creates additional pressure on emergency departments.
0: Okay, a couple more questions for you Tishuk. I just have to take this quick break um, back with more, particularly in relation to the 2% pay rise, a lot of people have been contacting us about that this week, so stay tuned for that. This is Courts, Gold Imro award winning talk show The Opinion Line with
1: PJ Coogan. Call
0: us now 1850
1: 715 996 on Courts 96FM
0: Back with Antisic, Micheál Martin just for a couple of final questions Antisic, I understand you have a jobs announcement to go to us, so we won't keep you too much longer um, a number <coughs> of people contacted us during the week about the 2% public service pay rise which of course applies to all TDs and ministers as well I understand the Sinn Féin TDs are declining to take it, um, is that the position for anybody in your party?
1: No, f- First of all, um, the 2% rise relates to a broader public service pay increase and for over 20 odd years, TDs have been connected to the principal officer grade. I absol- I actually support that connection mm-hmm. because it takes it away from the hands of TDs in terms of determining their pay on an annual basis. That is important. I think people will play politics with it on an annual basis. That shouldn't be the case. I, you know, Sinn Féin did this before in years ago saying that they would take the average industrial wage. It subsequently emerged that they didn't and quite a number of them took the full thing. Uh, I don't believe in engaging in propaganda uh, sort of playing politics with this, the way to deal with wages is taxation. If you're up in Midland and earning high, you should be taxed higher, and that's what we have in this country. That's a more effective way of dealing with it. Uh, and um, and I think, look, Sinn Féin is the wealthiest party in the country. Uh, it has far greater resources than independent TDs have, for example, uh, who have to resource their campaigns differently. But it's your party, um, I'm asking about specifically. Well, I'm, I'm making that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, sim- I'm simply saying Sinn Féin are a very wealthy party, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they can have far more offices and far more staff than any other party. Uh, and so I'm simply saying is that independent of me or my party. I, I believe in the connection with public service grades. Do you I believe think each, that the 2% think, pay is
0: across the board is sustainable as in the pandemic? We
1: as ministers will not be taking it and we, and we as ministers will not be taking the increase and we've already um, reduced our pay by 10% um, uh, as ministers. Uh, but I think in terms of TDs on the ground and in aspiring TDs coming into the diet, I actually think it's far better Independent of the political system, the pay determination system should be independent of the political system and it should be connected to a, to a grade in the public service as it has been for the last 20 plus years. Uh, I've be, I've, uh, prior to that, everybody was playing politics with it on an annual basis. It's no sustainable way to run your political system either.
0: Okay, in terms of the 2% pay rise overall for the public service in the current climate where an awful lot of businesses are are going to go under, where people are are experiencing reduced pandemic unemployment payment. And, you know, public servants, obviously, we know that they include, um, you know, medical staff and educational staff and people on the front line and people who aren't, who obviously work very hard as well. But is it sustainable to be giving anyone a pay rise in the current climate? Has that to be looked
1: at? I think, first of all, the government is committed to fulfilling its agreements in relation to public service pay what the, what the pandemic, in my view, teaches us is the importance of having a very strong, effective and committed public service. Uh, and I think any move not to adhere to agreements would undermine that concept and would undermine morale in the public service. I think our health services and particularly frontline workers have been exceptional. Many administrators, many officials have worked well into the night in terms of dealing with the pandemic. That has to be said. Uh, our teachers, for example, on the ground with SNAs, the work they did... Throughout August to get the schools ready was phenomenal, and mm. has to be acknowledged and affirmed. The Gardaí have had a very difficult time uh, out there enjoying during, during the pandemic from the very beginning. They've been in a, a new situation; it's very difficult, it's, you know, in terms of public health regulations and, and and dealing and 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 trying to get higher compliance with them. And there's a whole range of others. Um, so, in that context, I think what. What we're doing here by adhering to the public uh, pay agreement is saying, look, we do acknowledge the centrality of a good public service to a democracy and to a society uh, to enable us to deal with something as unique and dangerous as a global pandemic. Uh, In many aspects, our public service has been at its best during this pandemic. We learn lessons from that as well. That's why we're adhering to the public service pay agreement.
0: Okay, on your way in here, Thishuk, you met a number of the Debenhams workers um, outside who wish to speak to you. I think you are going to give them some of your time. Um, but there was a lot of criticism this week of, particularly Patrick O'Sullivan and Colin Burke, both government representatives, for standing with Debenhams workers last <coughs> week and this week voting against Deputy Joan Collins' Workers' Rights Bill, which was designed to implement the Duffy Cahill report, a report that was written after a similar thing was done to the
1: Cleary's workers. Why won't the government implement the report? Well, and again, let's be clear, a uh, motion in the Dáil or legislation in the Dáil isn't going to change the... Situation, despite what people suggest, it, it will not, and I'm not going to leave people lead people up a hill and back down again in respect of that. Uh, and Party Sullivan has been genuinely supportive and sympathetic to the workers. The Duffy Cahill report is an important report. It actually wouldn't apply to, to Debenhams because this is a liquidation board here, no, and in the UK yes. um, there are there are issues uh, and there are aspects of Duffy Cahill which we want to to move on. We are looking at legislation, for example, um, around collective agreements where workers are part of a collective agreement that and in the event of a liquidation that they would be on a par with others uh, in terms of getting proceeds from that liquidation. Mm -hmm. Currently, that is not the case. Now, we will be looking favorably at bringing in that legislation, but that legislation is detailed. You do have to engage with employers. The legislation the other night was going to put the onus on every other employer out there. So then that would allow rogue traders to go into liquidation and others will have to pay for it And so you can't do that on one night and just make a decision to say we'll go along with that and, and have no regard to the consequences I think so on the legislative front there will be movement around what happened in Clary's as well as this situation I think the, where this situation applies is there was a, a collective agreement between the workers which, has, which has, suffered, has has been undermined by the manner of the liquidation and they don't have the same rights as others in terms of getting proceeds mm. from the sale of assets or whatever there's also leads for legislation to make sure the companies can't separate out their assets from their trading income mm. and, and into separate companies. And it's, it's the trading company then that goes into liquidation, and workers are left high and dry. Right. That has to be uh, dealt with. Uh, and also, uh, you know, there was there was engagement, uh, informal engagement with the liquidator in terms of could funds be released for the workers and Debenhams. Now some funds mm. were released subsequently taken back it was low it's not the equivalent of a redundancy to be fair Um, and then we're going to see if there are other mechanisms uh, to other funds if something can be done in this situation but I want to be realistic as well the government will fulfil its obligations in terms of statutory redundancy uh, which is legislatively provided for the social insurance fund government will do its bit Uh, unfortunately in this situation uh, the workers haven't been treated well in my view uh, by Debenhams despite uh, engagement with Debenhams there's nothing forthcoming there Uh, uh, in, or from the British company uh, which is, had been in examinership um, and in, in, in difficulty as well so it is a very difficult situation for the workers concerned okay. Th- those are the three funds we're looking at
0: Okay, Tishuk, thank you very much for your time this morning. Apologies, I think I've made you late for your next engagement, so apologies for well, that. I'm just going that.
1: to work Vivo, which is a very up and coming Cork company. There will be additional jobs announced there, and I think it's just evidence of the very high quality technology companies, or Irish-owned companies that are emerging mm. now. In, in and I'm looking forward to meeting them shortly. Some
0: good news for a change. Tishuk Mehal Martin, thank you. thank you very much for your time. Corks 96 FM.